Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 114, Installing Fedora, recorded September 29th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. That's right, super creative show title, people, Installing Fedora. Um, that's for SEO purposes, not because I couldn't come up with another name, really, honestly. Sure. See, we could go with the Headless Horseman ride again because we're not doing video. <laughs> That's but. true. We're not. Uh, and those two voices that you just heard, of course, are the ever-present and stalwart co-hosts of the show, Mr. Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris. Dun, 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 dun. How goes it, everyone in internet land? And, of course, his sidekick. No, nay, not a sidekick. His partner in do-goodery, um, Mr. Seth Anderson, the gooey kid. Hey, Seth. Hey, I'm probably more a kick in the side, the side ah, kick. there we go. I like it. And for everyone else, our great announcer, Mr. Mark Cockrell, who forgot to introduce himself again. And if you don't know what that's in reference to, go back and listen to the last show. I didn't forget. I was going to round out, but you did a better job than I would have. So thank you. <laughs> I was just going to say, hey, and my name is Mark. Um, we, If you are uh, watching live, listening live, I know you're not watching live. Uh, because we're sort of running uh, a little under under the weather, so to speak. I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that some of my hardware is ailing. Um, the ailing has continued, so I am currently unable to broadcast video. That's actually good news, I'm sure. You don't have to look at me while we do the show. Uh, but those of you listening to the feed will not know the difference because I never punish you by doing video anyway. So once again, I don't mean to sound like a, a televangelist, but if you've ever considered donating to the show, now would be a good time. My funds are at an all-time low and my need is at an all-time high. Or if you're going to buy your next car, just go to elementop.com slash Amazon and purchase it through Amazon and we'll get a percentage of that. Indeed. So that way it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and that's a great thing because you don't have to change anything that you're doing. Just buy the stuff you were going to buy anyway. There you go. Um, I, I had a birthday party yesterday. My, my baby girl is at tomorrow's her birthday, but she is now five years old. I no longer have any babies in my house. I only have big girls as they like to call themselves. <laughs> so, um, we went to a local park and I understand now if I, if I ever doubted, I now understand completely why people live in this part of the country because it was, um, late September the sun was shining. It was 70, 69, I think, degrees. It was perfect weather. And it, Seth, you can back me up. In Texas, we get that weather like four days a year, twice in the fall and twice in the spring. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so it was it was amazing. We, we went to a local park, and we I had some pizza, um, uh, the Little Caesars hot and ready. Uh, have you ever done that? Yes. Yeah. So I never had before. And just because really? I'm a geek and the rest of the audience is largely geeks, I think you'll appreciate this. The process that they had was amazing. I I um, was like person number 38 in line on a beautiful sun, Saturday afternoon to get pizza. Um, but it didn't matter because they were able to crank them out so quickly. So I was watching in line and, and I was watching the process. Uh, so they have the they only sell three types of pizzas. There's the, the pepperoni, the cheese, and the three meat. And they only sell them in large. And it's, it's 5 bucks for the pepperoni and cheese and, and $8 for the three meat, in case you didn't know. All right. That's so, not too bad. No, it's perfect. Uh, and they promise it hot and ready. Just go pick it up. So um, 
the, the way they do this, they have the three um, warming bins, one with each type of pizza, and you know, presumably they have planned out ahead of time about how much product they're going to need. So uh, they have that, and they have two doors. There's a door in the front and a door in the back. So the guy, the door, the guy in the front opens the door, pulls the pizza out of the back, uh, out of the front. And the guy in the back opens the door and pushes pizza in. So I ordered uh, three uh, three cheese and two pepperoni. So he pulls out three cheese and two pepperoni, and then yells back, three cheese, two pepperoni." They then take some fresh out of the oven that they already had baking because they can do that because they're only making three kinds of pizzas throw it in the oven and then another guy in the in the the boy back um grabs three pre-made but uncooked pizzas and throws them in the oven so assuming assuming it's like eight minutes in the oven like worst case scenario the longest you'll ever wait is like 12 minutes while they slap some toppings on a pizza and put it in the oven but they're never going to do that because they have that process down and i'm not kidding i have waited longer at mcdonald's than i waited for three pizzas by the time i signed the receipt because i paid with a debit card the pizzas were right there on the counter, and it's is really an amazing process. Somebody, somebody really thought that through, and I just I was geeking out on it a little bit. That's pretty awesome. That's fast. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just as fast as he could turn around and pull them out of the oven. And like cool. I said, there were there were fifty people in there. There were there were lots of people uh, at the drive through because they have a drive through window, and then lots of people in the lobby. And it took me a while to get up in the line, but once I got to the line, it was. I don't know, uh, 95 seconds. It was less than two minutes to Dang. to get my pizza. I told him what I wanted. He punched it in the computer. Um, he handed it to me. I signed the receipt, and I was out the door. And that's what makes though? America great, pizza in less than two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the quality of the pizza like, though? Was it a good pizza? Yeah, I mean, it's it's Little Caesars pizza. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's just, yeah. you know, it's cheap pizza. There's it's It's better than... Um, the Red Baron, you know, it's better than something you right. get out of the the freezer section, because uh, it's a you know I, they prob most people people I know this because uh, a roommate in college worked uh, at a pizza joint. Most places age their dough at least a day, sometimes up to three days, just to develop the flavor of the the yeasts and all that sort of stuff. So right, they they got a ton of dough pre made, and they're probably making big batches of it every day. All they have to do is sauce it, put some cheese on it, put some topping on. It. So it's a quote unquote fresh pizza made while you wait but in minutes the slowest part of the process is the oven which is not slow at all so you know it's a domino's quality it's just it's a basic pizza uh for five bucks and fast and in fact in here i don't know if it's everywhere but here in in northern atlanta domino's has started to compete with that they have five dollar carryouts now as well because little caesars was kicking their butt yeah huh yeah the way it is in texas is you know you can get the the hot and ready five dollars but if you want something else then you know it's going to be it's going to take the time for them to cook it right. so yeah because then you're, you're breaking the you're breaking the pattern yeah but you know it's like you can be in and out in two minutes or you know if you want something different it'll be 10 minutes so and i you know i i'm totally fine with that because it's a kid's party they only want sausage or pepperoni or cheese so yeah my my, my choice was easy right <laughs> It's it's definitely uh, nailing something quickly and yeah. fast. That's, so yeah, I just I thought I'd share that with the audience because I know that geeks tend to think about uh, things pretty heavily, and so um, the the process of having laid all that out, you know, kudos to whoever came up with that. And then we're going to be sending this portion of the show up to Little Caesars and <laughs> yeah. see if they might sponsor us next week. Well, they don't there have to. Go. We just gave them a bunch of free sponsorship. 
Right. Oh, well, you no, know, that it, was their it's one like crack. Creed, so the first dose is free. Yeah, that's right. Everything else costs money. <laughs> so what have you guys been up to this weekend or this past week since we last uh, met? Since we last met? Well, um, I played single dad for a while. Oh, that was that kind of entertaining, I guess. My wife had to... Oh, did I just lose everything? Nope, you're here. Okay. Huh. I just got told I was signed out. Um... Anyway, my dad, my wife decided to take a, a little little jaunt up down the road for a little for a night to uh, do some studying for title and registrations because she's the uh, title um, sales manager or not sales manager, the office manager. So if you buy a car in Glendive at Glendive Sales, they, uh, you have to see my wife and she has to fill out all your paperwork. And if you're nice to her, she does it quickly. I'm sure it is a <laughs> but, lovely and tranquil experience as well. Uh, oh well, she tries to make it that way, um, but she needed some formal changes because I guess there's some changes coming down the pipe at her, and so they had this big, big old uh, train everybody in all at, in one day type thing. So she got headed. She ran up there for that, and I ended up being single dad. And I'm glad I'm not a single parent because I think I'd go crazy. Yeah, I, I, every time I have to do that for you know, I think the most it's ever been is a weekend. I, I feel intensely sorry for single parents everywhere. Yeah. it's It, it definitely brings in a whole new layer to the, uh, it's a partnership, <laughs> raising <Yeah>. a child. <laughs> so, Seth, how do you feel about hashtags? Man, you know, I don't have a problem with hashtags. The thing I hate is, like, I've just started using Google Plus a little bit, throwing a couple of things out there, is they think they know what kind of hashtag I want to put. It's like, if I want a hashtag, I will add one. Quit trying to give me five <laughs> or six suggestions that are automatically added to the post and I have to go in and take out. I hate it when software or services try to think for me because nobody thinks like me. And I'm the guy that messes up the bell curve and stuff like that. So stop it, Google. Let me choose my own hashtag. Or better yet, just leave me alone and I'll put my hashtag if I want to. So there's my little mini rant. First of probably mini of the show. But. Um, that works. We, we'll have some discussions on ranting a little later on as a, re a result of some listener feedback. But I have found personally that uh, it generally gets the hashtags right for me. Maybe it's because I'm pretty one-dimensional in what I talk about. So, uh, uh, but it, you know, it, I don't mind. I've never gone back and deleted a hashtag because it was wrong. Yeah, I've never either, now that I think about it. Uh, I've deleted every one on Google Plus because I don't want that. I mean... Okay, so it's not it was wrong. You just don't want one. Well, and, they, you know, like a one-sentence blurb shouldn't have five hashtags. You know, um, but yeah, it's, it's like it takes every word I put in there and it's going to make a hashtag out of it. And of course, I'm exaggerating, but that's I mean, you know, if you have to put a hashtag on everything, then hashtags lose their meaning. True. You know, that that's the way I see it. Then what's going to be next? A meta hashtag? How many hashtags were in this post? You know, instead of instead of hashtag Linux, hashtag everyday Linux, hashtag podcast, it's going to be ampersand seven. And then, you know, you, I don't know. That's just if, if everybody's you. special, nobody's special. Uh, you can't <laughs> have two first. That's then you're last. Thank you, Pixar. So, Yeah. <laughs> So while we're on the subject of hashtags, a friend of mine who's a musician posted a picture of uh, 
a treble clef in the key of F sharp minor, which uh, if you are a musician, you know that's three sharps. Right. Um, and the, 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 the accompanying post was, in case you didn't know, these are not hashtags, they're sharps. And my comment was, technically, they're octothorps, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> <laughs> that was not appreciated. <laughs> yes, it was, just not by him. Yeah, that's... I mean, if you're going to be elitist, get it right. Call it what it yeah. is. It's neither a sharp nor a hashtag. It's an octothorpe. That's the name of it. Yes. Uh, also known as a pound sign. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Microsoft, the, the, the command line godfather gives in to Microsoft. Uh, well, no, not me, but uh, my organization does. My school system that is... Uh, is looking at going to the uh, Microsoft campus. So my uh, hopes for that Linux will take over some of the labs is going to be quickly dashed when they start signing that contract. Yeah, well, I made that decision before I left the school where I was. Microsoft has made it so inexpensive that you're really not doing your job well if you don't do it. It's sad yeah. to say. It, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. I was looking at the price range, and even for to throw our servers in there, it's... It, it's it's peanuts per per machine. Yeah. It's peanuts. There, I mean, uh, I think we actually did it. I think it's ten cents a machine, basically, for what they're charging us. Yeah. Um, you you can't defend against that, and the fact that we're also getting office with it. It, it was a. It's it's going to be a mute battle, I think, when I go into the office to uh, try to defend my beloved Linux. Yeah. When it's, it, Linux can no longer compete, at least in education. Linux can no longer compete on price. It just you yep. just can't anymore. Um, you have to be better. Yep, and maybe Linux will eventually. But I think uh, as far as Linux coming in to take over school labs, uh, it's not going to happen. And the more people that find out or or get told about this Microsoft campus, it's just going to slowly, slowly eat away at the uh, small market share that Linux was getting in desktops and in education. Right. But now, hey, Chris, aren't you going to have to, like, keep pretty beefy hardware to maintain that? I mean, I'm, you know, and one of the strengths of Linux is that you don't have to have the hard, the horsepower that you have to have on Microsoft. Right. So, but see, when you're, when you're on the, when you're in this contract thing, you don't have to be on the latest, greatest version. Right. You can, okay. you can. You can pick whatever version you want to stick on. You just have to be licensed for the current one. Plus, you get all the Citrix goodness of remote desktop and remote presenter. And, and once you've done that, you can run it on anything. You can run it on yeah. a cell phone. Because it, 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 it covers all the Cal licensing and everything. And I think, uh, I don't know if I would step on any toes or any contractual thing, but the cost for you know the standard Windows 2000, whatever version server it is, 12, um, is peanuts considering yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it's almost cheaper than the desktops at that point. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're it's an upward it's an uphill battle to try and against you know any any form of Linux in the in the elementary or in a school system when you know you can get a, a desktop license for less than sixty dollars that includes Office. And then uh, I think it was less than $50, and you can have a standard Windows 2012 license. Wow, that's pretty cheap. 
So yeah, you know, it's it, it's um, Microsoft is is trying to transition into Apple. well that yeah that but they're trying to transition into the subscription model, and that's what is what that is in the education, and you know and like Apple they want to hook people while they're young, and so that when they when they go home, actually I'm I'm having a hard time even defending this because. This school agreement lets them take it home too at no cost. So, I mean, for like twelve years, when these kids are in school, they don't pay anything. It's a long-term play, is what I'm getting yep. at. They're really it thinking is. long-term. Um, for the price we're getting it though, uh, we're not including the student desktops yet. Okay. Um, that's going to be for the students to take them home. That's an additional cost that that we weren't quoted on. But the uh, the powers that be said, well, well, let's try it for just teacher machines and. Um, which, according to the my rep, that covers any district-owned machine. Yep. So all my labs are covered. All and it's just like you know, for for this cost, we're silly not to. Yeah, the license I bought uh, covered all district-owned machines and all staff and all student machines that they own as well. Yeah, which see, is we just we mind blowing. Yeah, we we opted off the not doing the student ones. We just did all the staff and and yeah, it's just nuts. I was shocked. I was not expecting the price range that they gave us. Yeah. Well, enough about Microsoft. Let's talk about Marvel uh, and Joss Whedon and Agent Coulson and the new uh, TV series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, I was just curious as to what you guys thought about it. Have you all watched it? I did. I did. I did not. I did not. But go ahead and, and you can, you know, spoiler this. No, one totally spoiler free. Won't. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, it. In, uh, well, Seth, you go first. Well, I was, you know, it, one, I had such high hopes for it. So it, while it was not bad, it did not live up to my expectations. I think what they did for the first pilot, all the stuff they tried to do, it needed to be a two-hour yeah. thing instead of it. They just did. They tried, you know, I mean, of course, I understand they're new characters and you've got to introduce them, but you can't do that and do something else in just one hour and one of the things i would have loved to have seen were cameos by the avengers yeah. you know just a one little walking through or talking in the background uh something I, you know i think they really missed some ways to kind of tie it in more with the movies and again it wasn't bad i and i think you know, they introduced, you know, th there's some things of who's who are they fighting? Who's the who's the underground enemy they're trying to figure out over a course of a season and series? I think it'll be really good. I just I think they tried to do too much in the first show and they, they did it pretty good. It, it wasn't a failure, but it, they didn't knock it out of the park. Yeah, hmm. I'll have to put it on my queue and see if I can get time to watch it. So, um. It reminded me of the very first episode of Star Trek: The Next, Next Generation, Encounter at Farpoint, and okay. I saw, I saw a uh, an interview with one of the creators of the show years later, and um, he he said something that I sort of tucked away in my memory, and I've been looking for it ever since. He said, "Building sets is expensive and difficult, and you never know once a show gets picked up what they'll let you do. So we intentionally included as many different sets." in the pilot so that they would have to let us build them so that we could use them later. Uh -huh. um, and agents of sense. shield had that there were every, every scene took place somewhere else. Every, everything was in a different room. Um, 
And when you're looking for it, it's obnoxious. If you're not looking for it, it's disorienting. You don't know why you're disoriented. You just are. Right. Um, and it's like all this new stuff being thrown at you everywhere you go. Uh, new, new, uh, like new uniforms everywhere you look. Somebody's wearing a, like the Ming Na Wen character wore, I think, four different uniforms in the case uh, or outfits rather in, in the course of the show. And in a, you know, paramilitary sort of environment, you would expect a uniform. But right. I, while I was watching it, I remembered that interview. Uh, that I'd seen with the, uh, I think it was Rick Berman, I don't even remember, but I, I thought that's what they were doing. And, and it looked to me like they had stretched their budget as thin as possible to get as much in, and none of it was really done well. And their idea was, we'll stick it, and we'll come back and roll fry it later, which is exactly what Star Trek The Next Generation did. And, and so, yeah, I was with you, Seth. It was disappointing. It, everything was just a little subpar to where I thought it should be. Yeah, but subpar from where i thought it should be it was still pretty good right you know it, like i say i had high hopes and uh, you know i mean they got on base but they didn't knock it out of the park yeah huh. so well, let's hope the second let's hope the second episode makes it better right. then i'm gonna watch it again so that's the that's the bottom line it was good enough that i'm gonna watch it again um it was way better than uh defiance which I gave three grueling, uh, painful episodes on sci-fi uh, before I gave up on. I so. mean, come on, Mark. That's not even fair. Watching mold grow <laughs> is better than defiance. So, I mean, golly, you cannot insult a regular television show with a comparison to defiance. It's just wrong. Uh, so let's hope the second season for Defiance has you know maybe a little better because the first one was horrid. So. Uh, wait, I, I, there's going to be a second season. How did that even get picked up for a second season? I, well, as far as I know, it is. I know that uh, there's a, the video game has an episode too. So, and it's supposed to be a tied series. So, so for, I'm guessing as long as they're making episodes for the video game, they're going to make episode or, uh, seasons for the movie for the TV show. From the network that brought you Sharknado, nothing should surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh man i wanted shark i wanted uh defiance to be good yeah, i tried so hard i was like I i'll overlook that did. i'll overlook that i'll overlook that i'll overlook that wait a minute i just overlooked the whole yeah. freaking episode i have overlooked 58 minutes of an hour show <laughs> yeah. right uh okay and seth you, do you have a winner for us or are we going to pick the winner well there were only 18 oh. responses so but, because there but, weren't 20 responses, I went out and I found Salient OS. And this is from their website. The first operating system completely inspired by the Salento land molded by the sea and wind steeped in history and art in the south of the Italian peninsula. Salient OS is available for 32-bit machines with PAE and standard kernel in two versions with two different desktops. And I'm actually choosing the Razer QT desktop i have it downloaded and i will install it and play with it this week and i will bring you an update next week and for the next few weeks you know so how how my experiences with it are so kind of like um you know we haven't done them in a while but a distro review this will be kind of a more in-depth distro review it'll be a series nice there you so, go that sounds good Salent, yeah salient os is uh it's it's based it's from Italy, and um, I, I would just I went through uh, distrowatch.com and looked at them. And I went, okay, um, this one looks interesting, so I'm going to try it. And uh, so that's the one I picked. There you um, go. I think in the forum, um, 
the the two winners that it was neck and neck sort of for for Crunchbang and Fedora with a lot right. of others thrown in. Right. But yeah, we didn't get up to twenty, so I wasn't bound by the uh, <laughs> by the results of the forum. So that and that, you know, I didn't make that up, guys. That was in the initial That's posting. Right. I said we had to have twenty for the results to be binding. So. But you're we'll, still going through with it, so that's what matters. Yeah, but this way I get I, I pick the one I want, and uh, you know we'll try it again in a in a couple of months. I might do something different and uh, give you an, a chance to redeem yourselves. <laughs> something like that. And uh, Chris, did you want to hawk this website? What's that about? Yeah, I do. Um, that is uh, the shoe, the current brand of shoes that I'm wearing. Uh, they're Merrells, they're barefoot running shoes type thing. They're minimalist shoes. Um, the cool thing about these shoes is that they're washable. So after you wear them for a couple of days, you can throw them in the, in the clothes washer and clean them out and then wear them some more. Um, so just so everyone knows, this company is outstanding. Um, I have, I've got two pairs of them now and it'll be a third coming soon. But, uh, I I, I took a pair off and I was washing them. So I've been wearing my, my beat up ones lately. And I washed my new ones, and god darn it, I can't find the sh- the shoelaces anywhere. I lost my shoelaces for my brand new shoes. I think they only had a week in them. So wah, wah, wah. yeah, horrible, right? So I contacted them by on their chat line, on their chat support system, and not only did, faster than I could say, you know, hey, I lost my shoelaces. How can I get a new pair? The lady, or who I'm guessing it was a lady because it was a female name said, well, what's your information? I'm going to look you up in the system. She looked me up, and before I could even ask her, where do I go buy another pair of laces, she said there'll be another pair in the mail. You'll have them in three days. All right. So that's pretty darn cool. You know, I've never seen a company before I could even ask my pro, you know, ask for, you know, the direction I was going to go because I was willing to buy them. She already had a pair set, you know, in in the mail to me. So it's like, you know, that's some pretty good customer service. Um, if you're looking for a pair of minimalist shoes, Merrill, not only are they great shoes, but they got great customer service. That's M-E-R-R-E-L-L dot com. Uh, sorry, I misspelled it. Sorry. Right. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll check that out. Uh, I, I looked at it. They don't have shoes in my size. So Really? Done that's with too me. bad. Yeah. <laughs> I have Fred Did Flintstone you- feet. They're as long as they are wide. I have square uh-huh. feet. Yeah, that would make it tough then. <laughs> I wear a 14 triple E. Woo-hoo. No, excuse me, 14 four E. That's what it is. I can, so you'd uh, be 4F then by the military, right? Oh, in so many ways. I have uh, <laughs> I have dysplastic hips and flat feet. Uh, there was no chance I was ever going to go in the military. Huh. Then I guess you're uh, you're better off than me for getting uh, pulled into the uh, military through draft then. Yeah, I, am a, I, was a, I was reject the day I was born. <laughs> all right so wonders for your self-esteem that way. <laughs> yeah let's move on to our listener feedback we only have a few uh but one of them is pretty darn important because it sparked the whole topic of the show uh we're gonna begin with tony who has a suggestion some suggestions for my name it was a topic uh, a couple of weeks, maybe last week, I don't remember back, about how we have the gooey kid and uh, the command line godfather and the other guy. So uh, Tony has some suggestions. He says, just got done listening to the latest show, and I wanted to add my two cents on a moniker for Mark. 
because I don't think it's fair that Seth and Chris got one and Mark not. Um, I'm going uh, with the shotgun approach on this one, so see what hits. And his choices are, in no particular order, actually in the order he wrote them, the Elemental One, the Tour Guide, <laughs> the Hostmaster, I'm going to skip this next one and come back, El Elemental Uno, <laughs> the Dolly X, which is an acrostic for the host of Everyday Linux. That's a stretch. Uh, <laughs> and the last one I, I had to go with because it was so brainy, Bacor which is Latin for rant, uh, the Bacor Festival, the celebration of the Festival of Bacchus, to revel in the Bacche, to riot, to run wild, to rant. <laughs> the Roman version of that was uh, Bacchanalia, which is a drunken orgy, essentially. Uh, so <laughs> he, he thinks that I should be called Mark Bacor or the rant cockerel. I, whatever. I thank, can see the rant. Thank now, you, Tony, Mark, rant for your work. comments. <laughs> yeah, just call me raving lunatic or something like that. <laughs> um, and Aaron, uh, our former host of the show, the uh, former noob in residence, offers what cannot yet be called a bad movie recommendation because it's a bad movie that's not yet released. But trust me. This is going to go on the list in, a, in about a month when it comes out. It's from the Sci-Fi Channel, and it's called Big Ass Spider. <laughs> I think they're aiming for the bit, the bad movie list with this one. Yes. Did um, you guys watch the trailer? I did, and it was amazing. Um, so but, You know, I mean, sci there have been like two made-for-sci-fi movies that couldn't go on this list. That's true. Um, That's true. All the rest are prime fodder. I mean, I remember I watched one. It was called The Last Sentinel, and I watched it, and I go, oh, my gosh, that's a decent movie. I can't believe it was made for sci-fi. Um, and, uh, all, you know, all the rest, the one the one that was had Tiffany and uh, Debbie Gibson on it, that one was so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, so poor sci-fi. But, you know, you watch them because they are ridiculous. Yeah, well, this uh, one looks like it's in the vein of Sharknado in that it's self-referential. We know it's terrible, and we're okay with it. Yeah. Uh, and that, you got to respect that. Yeah. Raging Cajun Redneck Gators was on a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and And as bad as you think it is from the name of the, the name of it, it, it it did not disappoint. So uh, yeah, if, if you are if you're stuck, you know, and like you have to have a lobotomy or watch a movie, maybe yeah. throw in uh, Raging Cajun Redneck Gators on your Netflix queue, and it'll probably give you a lobotomy. Uh, so. And I don't I don't want to uh, beat this up too much because again I want to direct people to the forum for our bad movie uh, forum. But Rick Crouch um, uh, put one in there that I couldn't believe I didn't come up with. It is it is the quintessential bad movie that's so bad you have to love it. And it's called They Live, starring wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh I can't how has that not been mentioned? I, I, I can't imagine it. You guys have seen it, right? I know Seth yes. has. Yes. Yes. And it is amazing bad movie. Um with the best on screen fight scene ever. I will agree with that. I'm gonna throw that gauntlet down. It is the best ever on screen fight scene. 
Definitely. Well, the most realistic, I think, because uh, there have been some that were unbelievably good in their outlandishness. But to like, dude, that could so happen, and that was awesome. This was better than Hulk versus Thor. I'm telling you, it was that good. Uh, so it's uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who's like 6'4", 260, not a small man, and a, a, a random black dude, I don't know his name, uh, who is his first enemy, then friend uh, in the movie. And they get into a fight, and they are just beating the crap out of you. And I it, I can't see where they're acting. I mean, there were no pulled punches. They were, they were actually making each other bleed. I have to believe that because it was so good. Of course, he's a wrestler, right? He's used to faking people out. Right. Um, but it's it goes on for like four and a half minutes of just intense man on no cheesy special effects, none of that, no sound effects of bang pow zoom, just two guys wailing on each other, and it's awesome. That is, yeah, I remember watching them. I remember watching this movie way back, and I was like, God, I want a pair of those sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the premise of the movie is that aliens have been here for years and they're trying to take over the planet and they're they're like poisoning the air with CFCs and 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 polluting the ocean because that's what they like to live in and you can only see them if you have the special sunglasses that this guy comes across by accident um and so you put them yeah, on because they're broadcasting right. like um a kind of a hypnosis thing across the planet so you're it's tricking you into seeing something that's not there and that's how they appear normal. right so you so. put the sunglasses on and you see their propaganda you know where it's instead of a cigarette ad it's a this is the sign that says conform uh, and you look at it every day as you drive by so it's it's not a good movie it's a great movie because it's so bad yeah. right it it's definitely a go get this because this is one of the best they live you know, you know, and I have to put one up here. I haven't put it in the forums yet, but I have to put it in there. But uh, Big Trouble in Little China. <gasps> yeah, classic. Dude, come that on. One. That's an awesome, awesome movie. I'm not sure that I fits love. in the bad movie category, honestly. I, I, I love don't know. Big it's Trouble pretty close. <laughs> come on. It's pretty close. If it's not in there, it's pretty darn close. I mean, it's it's like a half step below the original Indiana Jones in terms of cheese. I mean, it's just it's a little more cheese and a little less quality, but it's basically the same kind of shoot him up guy's hat never falls off kind of movie yeah yeah big i love big trouble in little china that's an awesome movie man. kurt russell back in his his beefcake days it yep. came out in like 86 i believe yeah yep. uh right around the time of of uh tango and cash and uh bird on yep. a wire he was hot back then yep and it has that Oriental guy that's been in every martial yeah. arts film made. Uh, you, you, when you see him, you know the one I'm talking about. But there was a rule that if a martial arts film was made in the 80s, 90s, or 2000, he had to be in it. He was contractually obligated. Because you look at he's in every one ever. You mean um, James Hong? I don't even know his name. I've I've never looked up. I just I see him in every martial arts movie. Yeah, that's I've it, James Hong. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Bird on a Wire was Mel Gibson. I had to Google that because I didn't think I was right. Um, yeah, and then there's the that really big Korean guy, Bolo Young, that was in everything Van Damme ever did. He, you knew he was right. going to show up. Remember that guy? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there, oh, you, is... you love the, I love those characters. It's that guy from that thing. You know, um, the, the subway riding ghost from the movie Ghost, right? Tall, bald guy. Was in everything for like 20 years, but nobody knows his name. And nobody can remember anything he was in. You just see him immediately go, oh, yeah, that guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those, though. It's it's almost sad when you think about it. And you look back, and you, I always wondered, did Arnold Schwarzenegger have any, you know, because there's always, like, people that would follow the big stars in, other, in multiple movies. I don't ever remember seeing Arnold's follower type guy. Yeah, interesting thought. Well, any follower he had was chased off by Hercules Ghost of New York. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nobody another, would follow him through that. Another one that should be on the great bad movie list. Um, Hercules goes to me. Oh yes, it was terrible, but but great in its terribleness. Yeah, you know, and this is every time I try to think of something to add to that list, I'm blank. You know, but I mean, it was so bad that. And what part of what makes that movie bad is his voice is dubbed the yes. entire way. Yeah, he talks like this. <laughs> it's great. All right, moving right along. Richard asks us two questions. We're going to uh, maybe address one. I'm not sure, but definitely address the other. He says, hi, guys. I've been thinking about moving away from Ubuntu for various reasons, and given that Seth is looking for a Linux distro to install on his spare laptop, I thought of a couple of ideas for the show. The first one would be your views on the various non-Ubuntu-based distros, their ease of use, the support for multimedia, the install of proprietary drivers. I say non-Ubuntu based uh, as a given the upcoming changes with Mir and Canonical's increased lack of support for the open source community, I think a lot of people will be looking for alternatives and they're going to want things like MP3 support and they're going to, if they're not, if they're into gaming, they're going to want proprietary drivers. Um, so let's stop there. Uh, do you guys have any, um, there was one in the forum on Seth's forum that the, the guy said it was Fedora based and had all that stuff. Anybody, either you remember that off the top of your head? I do not. I have, I have to, to look it up. So I'll look at that while you guys vamp on your suggestions for non-Ubuntu-based um, things that have everything. Um, PC Linux OS. Um, you yeah, stole mine. I'm done. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Open Suzy. <laughs> okay. Open Suzy is not too bad for, you know, if not built in directly in, it's usually installed on automatically on the next update. Uh, like, when the way Open Suzy does is like after you install it, the first very first update you run, it asks, "Do you want Flash? Do you want Java? Do you want your proprietary drivers?" You don't even have to click anything; it automatically shows up. That's so that's cool. kind of cool. And I'm curious to find out what Open Suzy is going to be like on their next release. They're redoing Yast in Ruby, so that'll be interesting to see how it comes out. Um. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Stella. Linux, uh, li.nux.ro slash Stella, um, uh, root doc in the forums that Stella is a respin, not a fork of Red Hat, uh, to CentOS with a just works philosophy. Stella has all the most common audio video software pre-installed and is ready to go out of the box. Stella is not loaded with eye candy or little used packages. Rather, it's just a stable gnome two. that's going way back desktop distro. Wow but one that is rock solid being based on Red Hat slash CentOS. Uh, don't let the low, low distro watch ranking or the fact that Stella is a one-man project prevent you from giving this fine distro a try. So there's one for you, Richard, uh, that comes from one of our fellow listeners. Hmm. That's interesting. Of course, if it's based on CentOS that's in Red Hat, that's going to be long-term release cycle only. Right. And so it's going to be... be two or three generations out on just about everything. Yeah. But it should run pretty much like a tank. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of a neat idea. 
I think though if I was going to run something that was based off CentOS, I would either run CentOS or uh, Scientific Linux. But well, um, it sounds to me I'll, like it's CentOS for the for the home, whereas both those are designed for servers. Could be very possible. Maybe something to look at. I'll have to put it on my list of things to look at. All right, and picking up with Richard's uh, email, it says, the other d idea is for Chris mainly, and that is a show about installing his beloved Fedora, in particular, particular, the new install, as well as install installing things like MP3 and video codecs, as well as graphic drivers and wireless drivers. If you could send me an email, let me know when you're going to do these ideas. I'd appreciate it. And I didn't do that. Uh, hopefully, he'll find it when he's listening to the show. Um, so that's what we're going to do this week. Uh, Chris is going to walk us through installing um, Fedora because uh, if you do the cookie cutter base install, it's pretty simple. But if you deviate yep. even a little, things get hairy. So Chris is going to walk us through the part where things get hairy. Now, I'm going to try at least. And my original plan for this would have been to have it archived up on YouTube with the video, but... Um, bad timing. Bad timing. Yes. So great idea. Bad timing. Maybe we'll revisit it, and I'll put up, uh, and we'll re-record the the video later. But because I think it would be a good thing to have, and to be able to point people back to it. Right. All right. And before we do that, I can't talk Linux without talking Linux Academy, our uh, our one and only faithful sponsor uh, for the show. And not only that, but uh, a company we believe in. Linux Academy um, is there to take you from knowing nothing to knowing just about everything about Linux. Um, and they do this by way of video tutorials where you see what's going on. It's not just a guy talking to you. It's not just um, uh, something that you read. It's a video of a guy doing the thing you want to do. So if you're a visual learner, you've got that. If you're an auditory learner, you can listen to it. And hey, if you're a guy who likes to read, they have downloadable uh, content that goes along with every video they do. They have notes. They have, um, as one listener pointed out last week, they have time-coded, uh, here's what happened in this video so that you can go back and easily refresh your memory. Uh, they have study guides. They, they have quizzes. You can take quizzes online. They have a, a course um, system where you say, I'm going to take this course. It's going to be Linux 101. And you take that course. And then they have a module system, which is a collection of courses. So you say intro to Linux, and it starts with Linux 101, and it goes through um, you know, installing Linux on the desktop. I'm making these up. I don't exactly know what it is. but So you can track your learning based on modules. And their modules are geared toward, uh, or they're working toward that anyway, uh, geared toward certifications. For example, they ha for example, they have a module for the LPIC 101 um, certification. So you follow the steps in this module, you work your way through all the videos and all the courses, you do well in all the tests, you go take your test for the LPIC 101, and you will pass it. How do we know? Because people have done it. It's not just a theory. It is something that has happened in practice. People have taken their uh, their learning here on Linux Academy and have passed the test. And they're working on others as well. I'm sure they will move into more as they go on. Initially, this site was all about the newbie. But I see them transitioning more into professional-grade stuff. And I don't think that's a bad thing because the newbie stuff is still there. They've, they've yeah. covered that ground. Now they can move on. And so you can start at the beginning and start knowing nothing and move all the way in. And not only do you get the videos that you can watch, but you get your own lab hosted on Amazon 
with up to eight different Linux distros, so you can do while you're watching somebody else do it. You can copy it, you can experiment with it, you can pause the video, you can do what you're doing, and if you screw it up, no big deal, they're virtual machines. Delete it, start over again. It takes about six seconds on Amazon Cloud to wipe away a machine and start another one. Uh, so they that comes right there bundled with it. And and all for one low price. What is that one low price? Well, let me tell you. You can start out for a buck. You get two days of all-you-can-eat buffet of learning for a dollar. Not two days, excuse me, 14, 14. days, two weeks. Yeah. So you pay them a dollar uh, just to say, hey, I've got a PayPal account. I'm a real person. I'm not just pulling your leg. And then they just open the doors for you. Here you go. Look around. Do what you want to do. Look at everything we've got. Download anything you want. Have Have fun. Stroll around through the garden for a buck for two weeks. At the end of that two weeks, you decide you want it, kick them another $18 to finish out the month. That's right, $19 a month for this library of of wisdom that goes from the from the very beginning all the way up to some advanced stuff and more advanced stuff coming. But if you think you're going to be there for a while, and I think you will, go ahead and spring for a quarter. A quarter, as you know, is three months, but don't worry about it. They're only going to charge you for two months, $38 for three months of, of information. Just do it. Just do it. What are you sitting here for? Pause this. Go sign up. Let us know when you come back. And uh, so we'll wait. when you get there, use the code EverydayLinux when you sign up, and that will let them know that you heard about it here uh, on this show. They're awesome. Um, I definitely give my stamp of approval. So they they are definitely command line approved. Definitely, and one of the great things about it just as you go through the lessons, you will get to a point to where, you know, if you're like me, I start off. I'm afraid to do anything because I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to make a mistake. But you never get to where you know everything. There's just too much to know about computers and operating systems. But you get to a point to where you're confident to go in and do something because you've developed the skills and you've learned the skills to fix what it is you might break. And so if you think I could never learn how to be a system administrator because all those command lines and I mean, you know, you're just typing numbers and I don't are typing letters. I don't even know what they mean. Well, you learn that by the time you go through here, the next thing you know, you're listening to somebody and you're understanding them and you're going, oh, wait, you made a mistake there. It should have been this. And that's one of the great things is this is that pace. You don't have to know anything, but if you start this, you won't stay there. You will learn and you will learn. And then instead of being the guy asking the question, you'll be the one people are coming to for answers. Couldn't have said it better. And uh, so if you're into doing things yourself, you might want to build your own tablet. Well, an unlikely company is going to let you do that. Oracle is releasing a tablet kit yeah they actually they have not released it yet they've kind of just put the instructions out there and you can kind of go buy what you want to and it's based on the raspberry pi and java se embedded eight they have a wiki they go to uh and i found this story on ars technica and it's kind of expensive if you were to build this tablet yourself all total, it would be about $365, but has a learning experience. It may, I think it would be pretty cool because, you know, you're buying all the kits and you're making your assembly. It's like, you know, you're kind of like building the, 
our generation was about building a desktop. You know, oh, I want to build a well now, you know, who wants a clunky desktop? Now you can want to build your own tablet. And so it might be a little bit thicker than a normal tablet, but it's another use for the Raspberry Pi. I thought it was kind of cool and they're calling it the Duke Pad. I guess somebody was a big John Wayne fan or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so and why you might be wondering why why would Oracle do this? Well, because the uh, it's running Raspbian, which is the Raspberry Pi spin of Debian, but the presentation layer is all Java. So if you're doing it and you're building it yourself and you're coding it, guess what? You're using Oracle's Java to do it. So yep. not only are they uh, letting you uh, make your own hardware, but they're teaching you or giving you incentive to teach yourself how to, to use Java as well. And that's one of their main horses right now. Yep. So I thought it was interesting, you know, because I've often wondered about building my own tablet or building my own laptop. And uh, I've never found a good build your own laptop kit, but um, I could see myself buying this, buying the parts here and putting it together. Um, again, you know, you're not, you're not building an iPad, you know, or a super surface RT squared or whatever Microsoft's newest model is, but you're building a tablet and you're taking the components and you're assembling them together. And it just has a learning experience. I mean, I could see a, uh, you know, a computer class doing this uh, or something, you know, as a way to kind of teach yourself the A plus things because you've got everything in there. You got your motherboard, you know, you got your networking, you got some memory, you've got um, a camera and all these other things. So you're working with all of the parts necessary, but at the end, you don't have a computer, you have a tablet that you're going around saying, hey, look what I built. And uh, you can just take in your geekery, you're up in your geekery level. It's interesting in this, you know, sort of post PC era that everybody's talking about. People got to find up, find new ways to make money. The old ways don't work. And you know, we were right. talking earlier about uh, Fedora and CentOS, both spins of Red Hat that you can get absolutely free. And you might wonder how Red Hat is doing uh, with with the people taking their stuff and making other things at it uh, with it. Well, it turns out they're doing just fine because they're uh, reported uh, growth in the last quarter. Yes, a 16% year-over-year growth in their last quarter, up to $374 million. You know, we talked, uh, I guess it was, I don't know, not quite a year ago where we mentioned that they broke a billion dollars for a year. So, you know, this is on pace to do, what, $1.2 billion, um, but it's continuing to grow, and they're continuing to grow 16% uh year-over-year year increase, that's that's not bad growth rate for any company. Um, so, you know, Linux pays, and Linux pays well. Um, you know, you might think, well, why would I want to learn a free operating system that people can just install? Because you got to have people to, to know it, and you can make money doing it. Companies can make money providing Linux and supporting Linux. So that's, you know, since we're a Linux podcast, I like to throw some Linux content in our news section. So I think it's officially safe to call it a multi-billion dollar company now. So you once you're over a billion, you're multi-billion. You're one point something billion. And they have made that money offering education, support, and certification on a free product. Yep, that's pretty cool. I think that's awesome. I, I think it's interesting, though, that they're who they're displacing. It seems like, according to the article, it's saying they're displacing a lot of Unix and SUSE 
installs, which is interesting because I thought OpenSUSE's Enterprise Linux was pretty well rooted and was taking, you know, it wasn't really growing, but it wasn't really shrinking either. So that's interesting that they're quoting that they're taking away from Unix and SUSE installs. Yeah, um, this article didn't go into how well um, OpenSUSE did their last quarter, but even if they're staying still, you know, the computer market is still expanding. So if you're staying still, you're actually shrinking. Um, right. So maybe that's what they're talking about. Maybe. Interesting, though. It's very interesting, though, too, that, that Unix is taking a hit year after year. Um, th that just surprises me because, you know, Unix is was you know a major workhorse and now it seems to be being replaced by red hat in general yeah and the fact that the fact that it is still falling and it's still at a decent percentage just tells you how dominant it was in the back end that you know it is still a it still has a noticeable percentage of um you know big iron but mm -hmm. now um but yeah, all we hear about is it continues to fall quarter after quarter. So I might have to take a, a, a gander at a Red Hat license again to see what that runs because it'd be interesting to see. Um, the, it's been a long time since I actually ran Red Hat, you know, Red Hat. So it'll be. I might have to look that up. I'll 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 touch base on that again at a later date. But yeah, I wonder. It can't hurt to wonder. <laughs> nope. Well, have you ever wondered how a company that makes all of its money on advertising can offer a product that doesn't have any advertising in it? Google, for example, um, they're an advertising company. They also have something to do with technology. And Android is relatively ad-free, at least from a Google standpoint. Well, as it turns out, the uh, latest source code of the, the new version of Gmail has been released. And surprise, surprise, there's some code in there for ads. So now coming to your own phone, Gmail ads. Yeah, so, I mean, you're kind of getting double ads because, you know, just Gmail will throw some ads at you. But now in addition to those, you have, if you're using Android, Android, your Gmail app is going to start throwing ads at you. So you're getting two-for-one now um, advertising. So yeah, uh, four point six, which is the uh, I don't know if it's the new or about to be new version of Gmail, their Android client. Uh, they're they're doing they're adding a lot of new things. Um, one of the things is they're doing ads, and they're it will put a notification in your sent items if something hasn't been sent yet. You know, maybe you're in a place that doesn't have networking connection, or something was too big or whatever. But you'll keep getting an error. Telling you that hey you haven't you haven't unsent email um, and there's a couple of other things so they're not just throwing ads at you but in addition to some enhancement and changes they're also throwing ads at you in the new version. But on good news, the good news is they're they're allowing you to turn off the pictures next to every message. So in the current version, you have the you can tang off, turn off pictures, but there's still a big block with the user's first name or first initial which, in my opinion, really clutters the interface, and I don't like it. Well, now you can turn it off, because apparently I'm not the only one who doesn't like it. Cool. Not yep. cool about the ads, but cool about yeah. the whole removing the faces, because that gets in the way. And it, I'm not bothered by that. You know, it's, it's Gmail. It's an ad-supported service. I've been, I, I look at it like it's, I've been getting a free bonus using Gmail on my phone with no ads. I'm not bothered by the fact that there's ads. I don't like the ads. 
but it, it, it doesn't bother me. That's, you know, I got to pay the piper eventually. And so see, I've been using Google on Android for about five years now, and now it's time to see some ads. I'm okay with that. You know, on and honestly, I don't remember seeing very many ads in general with my uh, on my tablet. So I'm wondering how much I'm going to feel it because I don't. And even on my on on my web based client, I don't see very many ads other than the the one banner text ad. So it'll be interesting to see how it changes in the next few months. Well, I've got my Gmail open right now, and I have a banner ad at the top, a banner ad at the bottom, and two banner uh, two side ads. When I am in a message, when I'm just in the inbox, there's just the one at the bottom and one at the top. But when I open a message, I get two ads uh, on the uh, the right hand side. And mm. you know, would I prefer they not be there? Sure. Could I block them? Yes, I could. But I choose not to because you know, I I I run an ad supported business. I sort of understand how that goes. Right. Yeah. And like, I'm never. I, I will never click on one of my own fruition but you know because of how they're placed they're placed in such a way that if you have a big paw like i do in space of a normal size hand i can't i can't help but click them on accident but otherwise i'm not clicking an ad but um you know i'm like you i'm like well you know i don't want to pay for this so i guess i have to put up with the ads um so i'm not really blah i'm just kind of darn it there goes another ad free uh, space that I'm not going to have anymore, but I'm not really opposed to them. I'm just kind of sorry to see them come. Yeah. All right. And as usual, we have droned on for a long time and we have nowhere near the, the time to uh, do all the news stories you put in there. So Seth, pick the one you like. We're going to do one more. Um, well, this one is actually a holdover from last week and I, it's not so much that this is news. It's just that you should be, if you don't keep your data on your own machine, then, you know, it may or may not be there later. There's a cloud provider, uh, San Diego-based storage provider, Nervonics, uh, gave their customers two weeks notice to get their, that they're going to shut down in two weeks. And this has been about two weeks ago. So, and I, you know, and they're kind of a network-based thing. Um, and I just wanted to, bring it up there, not because, oh my gosh, your company's shutting down, but it's just to remind you that just because you put something up, oh, it's in the cloud, it's safe. Well, you know, you still want to keep tabs on it and make sure that where you're going is going to be there later. Um, you know, just because you just because you put something somewhere, you know, what happens if that somewhere isn't there tomorrow? So, again, it's not like, oh my gosh, I can't store anything on the cloud. It's just like, you know, you can't forget about something because you let someone else do it. And, um, you know, there was a lot of other things like that that were going to be in the news this week. But that was one just to remind our users and not so much to remind our listeners, but to our, for our listeners to remind the people that come to them for tech support that, hey, you know, just because you put something there, you need to make sure that where you put it is a place that's going to be around for a while. Um so there you go. Uh, Nervonics is closing up shop, and any data that was there is probably going to be gone forever unless you get it out. Um, First GeoCities, now Nervonics. The world geez. is just dying around us. Man. And Chris, I can't let you go without letting you profess your love of <laughs> the Steam Box. I know, I know. 
well, we did tease on the the fact that last um, during last week's show that there was a big announcement coming from the Valve company, and the announcement actually kind of surprised me. Um, we knew that there was going to be a Steam box for the living room, but there was no indication of what it was going to be running with. Now we have found that, according to the release, that there is a Steam-based OS in the works. It'll be running a Linux core on the Steam box. So that's an interesting thing. Um, Did we have a release date on that? No, there is no release date yet. It's saying that it's going to be coming soon. Um, they do have a interesting thing about, you know, if you want to be in the beta test, you can come be in the beta test. They're only allowing... They're giving away, or not giving away, but they're beta testing 300 different types of hardware to find which one works best. So the, it'll, they're all going to be based in the SteamOS system. Um, I haven't seen any ISOs or anything released on it, but it's interesting to see that they're also adding not only just the Steam client for gaming, but they're also doing streaming for music, movies, and other media as well so they're trying to take over your xbox 360 role or playstation whatever in your in your living room so it'll be interesting to see if a company as big as valve can offset playstation or xbox 360 in the living room yeah, and the uh, their website says they're not working with one vendor. They're working with multiple vendors. They're not making one machine. They're working to yep. make multiple machines, and they say in 2014, whatever that means. Uh, so their goal is to uh, presumably, by the end of 2014, have multiple uh, devices available running their Steam OS. Uh, that's an well, audacious o- goal. Yeah, and the OS will be available to download. Because at the bottom of that article I linked, it says it downloadable soon, free forever. So they're giving away the operating system. You'll just have to pay for the hardware if you want this. If you want your uh, a console-based system like a, an Xbox 360 or something. Yeah, well, I mean, when the operating system only purpose is to give you access to the stuff you've paid for, I don't know that touting it as free is such a, a big winner. But uh, I guess. Well, it. but. When you're looking at Steam, though, a lot of the there's yes, there is a lot of games on Steam that's that's paid, but there's also a lot that are free to play. So, if you're only playing the free to play games, then technically you're getting your gaming for nothing, which is kind of entertaining too. Hmm. And they're touting that they're gonna the catalog of games will be approximately three thousand at launch. So that's a huge library. So I'm wondering how many of those are coming over from their own personal, you know, the how many are going to come from Valve corporate themselves and how many are going to be the third parties that are being re- brought over too. You know, and that's a big deal because one of the things that Microsoft announced when they're announcing their new Xbox One is that all of the games you purchased on the Xbox Marketplace for 360 were not going to be compatible with the new Xbox One. And I don't remember if they've come out and changed that, but I know whenever it first came out, you had lost everything you had paid for um, when you upgrade to the new um, the new console when it comes out. Which is nothing new. I mean, most uh, Halo, excuse me, most Xbox games weren't compatible with the Xbox 360. Uh, there were a few titles like Halo that they ported, um, but most of them weren't. Um, you know, and that's the Microsoft way. Sony, on the other hand, has made a point to be very backwards compatible all the way back to, 
I guess the Dreamcast. No, that was yeah. Sega. Uh, Sony PlayStation. No, yeah. what was the yeah. Saturn? The Sony. No, that was Saturn too. I can't remember any of them. But anyway, well, the, the PlayStation was just the first one. Right, but there was one before that. There was one before the PlayStation, and the PlayStation could play its games. Um, I really, think. I can't remember I what it, it is. I'm going way back now. You're talking before you know before there was uh, sun in the sky at that point, but. <laughs> Um. Anyway, it's it's just the difference in mentality. Some companies, uh, Microsoft, for example, has been um, hell bent on keeping everybody backwards compatible in Windows up until Windows Seven, where they finally just said, "All right, screw this. We can't do this anymore." Um, and so <laughs> I think long once they flip that switch, they're like, "All right, we're just we're not ever going to fall into that trap again." Be it Windows or Xbox or anything else. We're we're gonna do you know one version maybe two, and that's it. And I can understand that thought too, but uh, you know it, it just you don't want to piss off a gaming community, and that's what I think Xbox is doing. Is you know the gaming community can only be slapped around for so long before they start fighting back and taking their money somewhere else. And I think after this last round between. Going from Xbox and not being able to do that when you go to your Xbox 360 and now again when they go to the one, I think even if, I mean, PlayStation 4 spec-wise beats the pants off of Xbox One. So it'll be interesting to see where the Steam Box comes in and if it actually, if between the PlayStation 4 and the Steam Box can trump the, the monopoly of Xbox 360. Just a quick side note. I'm using the the laptop that my wife ordinarily uses because mine isn't working right now. And so when I click the new tab in Firefox to open up uh, a new thing, you know, it gives you all the thumbnails of places you visited recently. There's Pinterest and there's Facebook and there's another Pinterest and another Facebook and another Pinterest. This is what my wife does on her computer. <laughs> <laughs> Just it doesn't doesn't belong anywhere, but I th- thought I'd put that in there. That's uh, funny. And so, Seth, what do you got for this week in history? Man, I have, today is the, ah, stupid Firefox crash. Um, <laughs> my, my, my Firefox crash, and I'm in the process of bringing it back up. Um, but today, uh, or actually it was a couple of days ago. September 19- 27th, 1983. Yes, Richard Stallman, who was at MIT at the time, announced free unix for everyone and he announced what be become the gnu operating system for gnu slash linux that we know and love today um announced it i just i hate <laughs> ah. so i'll just read your notes richard yeah, stallman posted quote. on net.unix dash wizards and net.usoft uh, those are both uh, news groups, kiddies. Uh, that back before there was uh, the internet, there were these things, these things called news groups. And he said, starting this Thanksgiving, I'm going to write a complete Unix-compatible software system called GNU for GNU's, not Unix, and give it away free to everyone who can use it. Contributions of time, money, programs, and equipment are greatly needed. Uh, Richard Stallman, September 27th, 1983. Very and, cool. And he had everything but a kernel, which is like having it had, had a car with everything but an engine. Um, and right. Torvalds came along with the kernel and a uh, a bitter, entrenched, uh, angry marriage was born. 
Yeah, in much so, in much the same way, they are mirror image of America. <laughs> yes, and for the pedants out there listening, yes, yes, September twenty seventh was actually last week in computer history. But give us a break. Well, it was after the last release, and so that's the thing. I go some there you go before after our last show dropped up until this show drops any time in there is this week you know if a fiscal year doesn't have to start in january <laughs> our week doesn't have to start on sunday uh, oh, and there you go and because i'm such a fan of storytelling through numbers back to school sales not looking so good for computers yes unless google chrome and then google chromebooks are off the freaking chart um, they account for roughly 3% of, um, and see, and this is, when are they going to put tablets in with computers? Because a tablet is a freaking computer. Um, I hate that they, they put desktops and laptops together, but yet they break out tablets. So why do they do that? Why can't they put them in and give us a true picture of what's going on? But anyway, yeah. So, you know, Chrome books seem to be the lone bright spot of the falling and imploding market that is uh, computers. And again, their defining computers has desktop and laptops. Um, and in the back to school section, which started in June, I'm going this off memory because for whatever yeah. reason, my Google Drive doesn't load. So the um, reason it, the reason Chrome is the lone bright spot, this is the beauty of numbers, is because in 2012, the back to school season, they didn't have a commercial product so their sales were zero percent of the market now they're a whopping 3.3 percent of the market skyrocketing past everybody else who is losing total desktops were at 8.6 uh, last uh, year uh, they're expected to be uh, excuse me 18.6 they're expected to be 18.1 this year apple notebooks were at 20.5 percent last year and expected to be 20.3 this year so clearly dismal sales and the Chromebook, with its 3.3% of the market, skyrockets to the top. Man, that's an infinite increase. So look at what they're going to be like <laughs> next year, Mark. you gotta, you got to look at numbers and stats here. And again, one of the things in this is that you know the percentages might be the same, but the number of units sold was down. That's true. Over, Computers overall just are not selling because there's no reason to buy one. The hardware isn't appreciably better. The software is, in many cases, worse. Um, and machines last more than a year. So there's no reason to pe for people to keep buying machines year over year. Well, and if you get a tablet, like if you take a look at the Surface with its uh, keyboard that is also a cover, that's a laptop. Um, my transformer, Asus transformer. Okay. I mean, yes, it's a tablet, but when I click in the keyboard battery, <laughs> that's a laptop. So I have a computer that does everything a computer can do, but it's not called a computer for this. It's called a tablet. And I really wish, and again, this is just, you know, because there's some numbers person out there that likes he says, I can make two reports instead of one, and I can be twice the person and get twice the money or something. So I would love to see, you know, if you take tablets plus laptops plus desktops, are those numbers growing or falling? You know, is the tablet boom, is it at the, is it a one for one of the hardware? of the laptop and desktop shrink or is it you know for every laptop that doesn't get bought 
2.1 tablets get bought or something. So again, you know, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about statistics and percents and how everything is roses are red and violets are red and I set your garden on fire. So. <laughs> I like that last one. That was funny. Uh, okay. So um, failing in our attempt to be the only Linux show on the internet that is not about Linux uh, we have to hand the show over to Chris now. However, we are succeeding in uh, continuing to be rank amateurs because after an hour, when most shows would be wrapping up, we're just now hitting the topic, baby. So, Chris, awesome. take it away. Tell us how to install Fedora the command line godfather way. All right. Well, just so everyone knows, this is my, my way of installing Fedora with my KDE environment using the DVD install media. Um, I've been on record before saying I hate live install CDs. They do. There's a reason for them. But if you're going to install something like Fedora or OpenSUSE, either use the net installer or the DVD installer to make your life simpler. Um, there's a lot of mousetraps that can come get you, especially in the Fedora one. Uh, so at the beginning of Fedora, when you boot up the DVD, the very first thing you'll see is obviously the language selection screen, which is a kind of a, a mute point there. If you pick your language, you're good to go. Um, the next screen is where everyone gets a lot of hiccups at because it is changed immensely. Um, you have at the top your local localization parts, your date and time, your language, your keyboard settings. Um, obviously, you pick those however you want them to be picked. So if you're in, you know, when you click on date and time, it brings you to the world map. You pick your date and time. Um, it, it, this part's all pretty straightforward. But if you end up with a where everyone seems to have a hiccup is between the software and the storage section. So I'm going to spend a little bit more time here. Um, obviously, you don't want to change your installation source unless you're going for some reason to if you boot it off the DVD and you want to change it to an HTTP using the net, you can. But you must remember to go into the network configuration screen to name your computer. Because if you don't do it here, you don't get the chance to do it anywhere else. So you end up having to use the uh, command line I gave out a couple of weeks ago to you to change your, your computer name and, um, and host name for all the other settings. If you do it in the network control panel, um, yes, your computer then says it's a different name. But when you like open the terminal you still are stuck with whatever this, you know, like on the default, it usually says local host. So you'll be, you know, for my instance, it'll be Chris at local host instead of at Chris at whatever my computer name is. So if you don't change it here, you have to use that command I gave out a couple of weeks ago. That's also where you would go if you're using the net installer to join a Wi-Fi. So if you are in your living room and you don't have a hard line in your in your re- building your laptop for whatever reason that I do on Saturdays it seems like um, <laughs> you can jump into your Wi-Fi through there uh, obviously your software selection screen is where you're going to change your what your base environment is going to be um, the DVD offers GNOME KDE XFCE LXDE Cinnamon and Mate. And then there's a couple other ones like Sugar and, and, you know, then you could say it's a dedicated workstation or web server, or internet server or whatever. But we're doing a desktop, so we're going to obviously pick KDE because I like KDE. And if you don't like KDE, then I guess you're going to pick something else. Um, but then on the, the right side of that panel, it gives you a list of add-ons for, this select, for your environment. 
Um, these are something as simple as, you know, commonly used KDE applications like your K Music or Kate or K Writer. Um, then they go down through different ones like educational and multimedia and office and administrative tools. Um, I always pick these following ones just to make my life simpler when I get it done. Um, I, I pick the KDE applications. So I get Conqueror and Dolphin and things of that sort. I also pick KDE Multimedia Support to add um, support for all of the free codecs. And then I pick KDE Office because I like having the K-Office um, writing program. Uh, I really like that one. But then the rest of these, I pick so, for the simple reason that I don't want to have to try and find the like GCC compiler and the make command and all these other commands that are built in for the terminals. So like the administrative tools, the C development tools, um, and then there's the does not design, the uh, development tools, and then the RPM development tools. Uh, I install these ones just for the simple fact that if I end up with an issue down the road, I don't have to re-download all those uh, source files or the compiler files. Um, it, they're not very big. It doesn't add a whole lot to your installation footprint, but they're nice to have before you have a problem. So once you tick all those, you say done, and then you go into your installation destination, which would be your partitioning scheme. And I know the new partitioner is horrible, so bear with me, and I will try to explain as best I can. Um, guys, if you know something that you want me to point out here, let me know. Um, when you hit the screen, you'll see a picture of all the different di hard disks that are in your computer. Um, in my big rig that I'm on right now, there's six, so I have to pick between those six. Anything that doesn't have a checkbox or a, a check mark on it uh, is going to be touched by the partitioning. So if you have drives that you don't want Fedora to touch at all, make sure they're not tech, there's no um, tick box on them. If there's no tick box, if there's nothing checked on it, the drive is left alone. Completely left alone. So if you have uh, Windows installed on a separate drive, it'll leave it alone so it doesn't touch it. Um, you can have a, a, a drive highlighted with the blue square around it, but no tick marker on it. So it's the tick mark that makes the, that is the deciding factor. So if you have five or six drives and only one of them has the tick box, that's the only one that's going to be touched by the partitioner to make the pool. So when you say done, that's when they ask you, how do you want to partition this? And the default is to use the LVM partitioning scheme. Um, I've been on record saying that I think that's stupid. <laughs> so I usually change it to standard partitioning and then say to... I want to review and modify my partitioning on my own. Because then that brings you up to the partitioning window where it says how much space you have, what drives are listed in here. Um, it's just a little bit... It's still confusing. I wish they'd go back to the old way of doing a partitioning layout. But this is what we got, so we kind of are stuck with it. Um, but it's pretty straightforward when it comes to once you have your drive listed... Uh, they get, they automatically give you a base of an idea of what you want. Um, when you pick it, when you, when you tell it you want to do it yourself, they give you an, a recommended and then you go in and edit it to be what you want. So 
on this virtual machine I have, I only gave it a 30 gig hard drive, and it's saying it wants to have a two gig swap, a 500 meg boot set uh, boots partition, and then a root mount point um, using EXT4. Um, I've been using the newer version of um, which I don't seem to have the option here um, for butter on the last install I did because I wanted to see if, if there was a big difference in butter versus a EXT4. Um, they're really, I'm surprised I don't, I don't have the option in this partitioning window. That's which that's, oh, there it is. Um, you have to change the device type to butter. If you want to change the mount, the root mount to be butter. Um, and then it does all the rest for you. So with the device type set as butter for me, um, I just tell it to be done because I the the swamp partition's big enough for my choice, the boot partition's fine, and then the rest of the space is going to be my root partition. Now, if this was a regular machine, that you know a production machine, I would probably shrink the partition of the root down and make a ne another partition for slash home. Do I need to go through the steps on how to do that? Do you think? Um, it's pretty let's, straightforward. Let's assume we know how to do that. Okay, because I mean it's pretty straightforward. You change the desired capacity for the slash home, and then you hit the little plus button, and then you tell it that it's home, and then you tell it the rest of the capacity, and it does it for you. The I mean it, I really kind of wish they'd go back to the old way where you actually saw the dark, the the disc, and you could get the space the bar graph. Because I think a bar graph is a better representation of your hard drive than text. Even you, even the command line Godfather. I, feels I that? do at least in at least for partitioning when you're, especially when you're just trying to. Most people, and, and I'm included in this, when I'm looking at a, a hard drive partitioning, numbers mean almost nothing for most people. Uh, I have corrupted the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've always been this way. Um, I I can do that. I can do a partitioning by number, but I'd rather see a bar graph to make sure I didn't screw something up. You know, if I do a bar graph and all of a sudden I see, oh, wait, I put slash, the, the slash drive, the slash partition on the wrong space assignment, that's an easy thing to catch when you look at a pie chart or a bar graph. But when you're just looking at it as a, when you're just looking it over as text, it's a little harder to, to make that correlation. Okay. All right, so that's just my personal feeling on that. But once you have those settings fixed or set, you just hit the begin installation. It'll then make the partitioning. You'll see the little bar graph at the bottom telling you where you're at. And it'll ask you to make a root password, which you click the root button and you type in a password. And if they aren't a very good password, you'll have to say done twice because they want you to have at least an eight-character password. Okay. So that's kind of a, a another little hiccup that you have to do. Anything you, other than eight characters? You can I mean, be higher than eight characters. No, does it specify you that you got to have a, a number or upper and lower case or anything like that? No, it just says it has to be longer than eight. Because something that galls me, it's freaking 2013, people. Tell me what the password requirements are on the field where I have to put a password in. Yeah, I hate uh, when this... it happens all the time. Where uh, at work, for example, we have a we have a 
requirement for the passwords on the mm-hmm. Active Directory, but it doesn't tell you what that is. You type it in and it says, can't change password. doesn't tell you why. Just can't yeah. change password. Come on, yeah. people. It's an annoyance. and I, I don't know what to do to change that, to tell you the truth, but uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but this one, it just wants... it, it want, Fedora says it needs to be at least eight characters for it to be considered a adequate strength password. Well, that you set an incom- uh, insecure password? Yes, but you have to click done twice, and it prompts you that. It tells you that okay. at the bottom of the screen when you start typing it in. It says, like, I just put a weak one in. Um, it says the password you have provided is weak. The password is shorter than eight characters. You will have to press done twice to confirm it. So you can bypass it. it. It allows you to do that. It's just I wish they would have said, you know, the are you sure, yes, and then yes again. Because that people are more familiar with that type of a, a process than clicking done twice. Right. Uh, after you do your root user, you should create a user right now. This would be your personal account or the local administrator's account is how I always look at it because you can make this user an administrator of the machine. So it can have pseudo rights with a tick box in this uh, at this point. So when I go into create user, you know, obviously I'm putting Chris and my username's Chris. And then I hit tick a box so it says make this user administrator so I can do sudo out of the box. I don't have to go in and edit the user groups and make sure I'm sudo ability is turned on. This does it automatically. And then you type in your passwords and away you go, click done again, and you just wait for it to finish installing. And that's it. All right. You are Waiting for Fedora to install, and you're doing. And then, you said you're doing this from the DVD install. Yep. Um, and Fedora is not quite a kitchen sink uh, installation, but darn close. So this is going to yeah. take some time. Well, I did um, just for time. I did a uh, a full install on my um, on a, a laptop just to see how long it would take from DVD. From start to f- install finish, and I'm logging in as a as a user now. Um, it took about 30 minutes, so I mean, not too bad. About 30, 30, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on um, the speed of the transfer off the off the DVD and the speed of the processor. Um, my this particular laptop took about 35 minutes to go from from dead machine to Fedora machine, soup to nuts, without updating. Because the DVD won't ask to update, it just installs. Okay, so I have done the install, it's rebooted, and now I'm looking at the ugly default Fedora desktop wallpaper. Um, <laughs> what do I do next? Because Fedora, I, I, I don't mean to be a hater, but it's not very useful out of the box. Yeah, it is pretty bare bones, and it's even more bare bones than most, than most installers are. Um, for this particular install... Uh, when you finish, you don't end up with a Firefox or, you know, most of the bro- most of the programs that you're going to normally be accustomed to. I mean, you do will end up with LibreOffice and and a lot of the Office based type programs, but you don't have anything that you're used to for web browsing. In KDE, they do give you a copy of Conqueror, which is a horrible web browser. But it does the job long enough to get some of the other pieces to finish your install. 
So once you fire up Conqueror, the first thing most people are going to go want to go get is probably Flash, which is a big one. Everyone wants Flash. And they actually, over at Adobe, they do give you a downloadable um, RPM for the Yum repository for Flash. So when you go to Adobe, on the bottom, you'll click Downloads, Adobe Flash Player. Um, then you'll get taken to the download page. And when you go to select a version to download, make sure to download the Yum for Linux. You could download the RPM. But I recommend not doing that because all that does is install the most the, whatever version of a flash that there that is says up there the eleven point two whatever that is the version you will get, and if it updates, you won't ever get to see the update notification for Flash, which I guess technically isn't that big of a deal since Flash isn't being updated for Linux. But I have seen a couple of um, downloads show up in my update manager for Flash for security reasons. So I always install the Yum. So when uh you can download the Yum, the Yum pat the which is just an RPM, save it. Um, and I save all my RPMs to my local desktop. So that way uh, I've had issues where for some reason the the automatic installer from a website fails and then you end up with a, a stuck install that you if you cancel, then you don't actually make it all the way through. So I save them all locally and then run them when I have them local. So I'll, And I do them all at once in the command line, obviously, because that's my craziness according to everybody else. Um, let's see. We got Flash downloaded. Uh, you can do the same thing for Dropbox and Chrome. You just go to their respective sites and download your version of the packages for those two. And then you can either double click them in your file manager or go to the command line and install them with yum. The other thing that I always, always get questions about is how to install codecs. Um, that's always a big one. And it's actually, once you start doing, um, and I'll touch on some of the other codecs in a minute, but the easiest ones to install and they're really easy to do thanks to fedorasolve.org. Um, I guess, yeah, we'll do Fedora Solved first. Fedora Solved is a repository of different tools uh, or different ways. You know, they're basically command line copy and paste for installing uh, different tools or different packages or different configuration files for codecs. Um, I'm guessing... It looks like they might be down right now. Yeah, not working for me either. Yeah, the the maintainer, he lives in a different country. <laughs> so uh, if if it goes down, he usually finds out about it, you know, when he wakes up and then fixes whatever whatever reason it went down, and then it'll be back up. Um, I've PDF'd the ones I usually use back-to-back -back a lot, so that way if it goes down and I need it, I have them PDF'd. Um, so he just offers you links to where you can get them. He's not hosting them? No, he doesn't host anything locally, but he gives you the step-by-steps on how to install them, literally copy and paste to Terminal. Gotcha. So, Which you should never do. You shouldn't do, but <laughs> this one, this is a vetted site. You know, the Fedora, the, they're, not, um, they're not officially linked to Fedora, but the guys on Fedora Solved 
also are in the Fedora camp as well. So I would trust something copy and pasted from Fedora Solved over some random website in the internet. But anyway, they have, when you do a search on their page, just search um, W32 Codec, and it's it'll literally walk you right through copy, you know, type this into the command line, type this in the command line, type this in the command line, do the, the additional one at the bottom, and 95% of your codecs are going to be installed. The other 90, the other 5%-ish codecs come when you install VLC and the G streamer um, packages. Uh, the uh, VLC and GStreamer packages, and you don't need all of the GStreamers, just the bad, ugly, and I, don't remember, I think good is the other one, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you install the good, the bad, and the ugly for GStreamer codecs, VLC, and the steps for from Fedora Solve, you'll be able to open. Uh, I, would, I, I have yet to run into a, a codec that I can't play on my Fedora box after doing those. Such the names inspire such confidence. I, I want to be sure to install the ugly repository because I want things on my system that are ugly. Well, and it's it's they're ugly because of licensing, right? So that's how they differentiate. Good ones obviously are the ones that are considered okay for Fedora to either distribute or yeah, it's distribute. Um, let's see, uh, and I don't remember what. I don't ugly are the ones like M, the MP3 codec. Those are ugly, according to the the specifications for those packages. Um, but I forgot a f- big step at the beginning for Fedora Fusion because without that you can't get VLC or any of the other um, bits and pieces for Fedora. Um, RPM Fusion is a Resp- or a repository for all of the extra packages. So your uh, NVIDIA driver files are going to be on RPM Fusion, VLC, um, some of the other more uh, license-tied packages are going to be over on RPM Fusion. Um, and they, when you hit their main page, rpmfusion.org, it literally has a link that says enable RPM Fusion on your system. When you click on that, it links you to, you can either do it graphically in the in the browser, or if you scroll down, there's the command line setup, and it's a copy and paste straight from their website, and it automatically installs the RPM Fusion site, or the repositories, into your system, so you can then install um, your NVIDIA AK mod, which would be for the automatic updating NVIDIA drivers. Um, and same thing with ATI. They have this a similar one uh, over in RPM Fusion. Am I talking too much yet? Wake up, Seth. <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> what? Huh? But yeah, yeah most, uh, most of these tools are all either graphically driven or you know, a, a copy and paste for, for the command line to do codecs and everything. Um, the, the one that always seems to get people crazy is getting f- the codecs. And that's done. And if, as long as you make it over, as long as you either can find a copy of what our, the Fedora Solved guys do or get to Fedora Solved and then copy them out 
uh, and then cop, you know, paste them into something that you're going to keep for a little bit. That's the only one that I really have to keep referring back to because I can never remember the the address for the codec package because they're hosted by the M Player company. You know, the, the guys who make M Player, they're the ones that do the codecs, and I can never remember the link, which is the only reason I copied it or I, I PDF the website for the the steps for how to do the codecs. And ordinarily, this is where I would uh, break through the geek speak and explain Fusion and Codex for those who aren't uh, Linux savvy. But they stopped listening about a half an hour ago, so yeah, <laughs> so I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try. Well, it was supposed to be a lot better, a lot more fluid with the, with the graphical, you know, with me. No, I'm not. I'm not accusing you of anything. It's just this is uh, this is geek heavy stuff here. It is, um, and I will say there are a couple of things that. You know, like I, I have in the show notes down here, um, there are a couple of things that I will warn people about. Um, if you're going to be running Fedora, be sure to check your kernel updates and your graphics in your graphical drivers before you do a, before you do those updates. Um, I got bit because I didn't read what the kernel update was going to do, and it blew up my graphics for my NVIDIA card. Um, I'd have to roll back on boot time to the older kernel in order for me to have a graphical desktop. And it, it at this at the time of recording or at the time Friday before recording, it wasn't fixed yet. Um, I don't know if it's fixed now. Um, I haven't gone and looked today, but I know as of Friday it was not fixed. So be careful on your kernel updates. And for your, in, unless you're running um, the Nuvu driver for NVIDIA, I think is what the, isn't that how you say that? Um, but you're not going to get very good performance off of that driver yet. Um, there's been some rumbling from them in NVIDIA, so they're going to be making that driver a little better. And then the other thing that will come up, and I know, Mark, you're going to hate say just turn it off, but. When SC Linux get in your way, because it will, especially if you're using Wine on any program through Wine, um, SC Linux is going to get in your way, and ev- the the SC Linux troubleshooting tool is going to tell you to install Audit to allow, or to use Audit to allow to fix the problem. But if you've installed the packages that I've told you to, you don't have to worry about it because you'll have it. But if you just installed the ones you, th- anything else, um, you're going to need to manually install Audit to allow, in order to do the fixes that SE Linux Troubleshooter is going to ask you to do. All right. Okay. Um, I found that, and that, that's just a recent thing as of ni- Fedora 19, and I, no, I think it was in Fedora 18. So it's just. Fedora 19 is when this started because they're trying to trim down the install CD or the the install footprint for CDs and DVD distribution. And that was just one of the tools that they said, well, we don't really need this because if someone wants it, they'll install it on their own anyway. Um, and that can there's a, a handful of different places to find the correct install path. Um, I posted in our show notes. So if you're a Fedora guy and you need audit to allow... Um, we can make this link available. It's not too hard to find. Um, I'm sure you've probably already found it from a different source, but 
uh, yum install and then the, the path user bin audit to allow and that'll install it. And then you'll be able to fix your SE Linux issues when they arise. And they will. Oh, yeah. But the nice thing is, is if you follow the troubleshooter, like when I launch a wine program, the very first on a very clean on a clean install of Fedora, the first time I launch a wine program, it tells you if you want this to be okay, run this command, and it won't ask for you for that program anymore. So I usually have you know two or three programs that I need wine for. I burn them early, and then I get the I do the SE Linux troubleshooting port uh, thing that they they recommend to fix it. And then I never see SE Linux again. So honestly, I once you get through the first week of SE Linux pop-ups, which you'll probably get three or four, uh, you should be you shouldn't get any more after that. All right. So what are we up to next? Um, just my commonly used programs that I normally install: um, Flash, Firefox, Dropbox, Chrome. Reconk because I can't stand Conqueror, but Reconk isn't too bad. Uh, Wine, the Codex, VLC for obvious reasons. Um, I install the Blues package for Bluetooth because you know I, I, I use Bluetooth and I use a lot of different Bluetooth devices and they add a bunch of different little cool tools to configure different Bluetooth devices for different reasons. Um, there's also one in the blues package that does proximity monitoring. So you can carry your phone with you and, t- and key it to your laptop. So when you walk more than 15 feet away from your laptop, it locks the system. So that's kind of neat, kind of handy. Um, Pigeon, Skype, you just go to Skype, download the version, the, the one that they give you, and it should be perfectly fine. Um, XChat, YumX, Prelink, and Preload. Those are my basic installs. And once after, once I get all them done, if it's a general web browsing, I'm done. If it's you know a, a security type one, or if I'm using it to crack open packages to dig into troubleshooting or virtualizing, then I install those extra ones as well. Um, but that's about it for me. Uh, I don't have too big of a footprint for installs, but you know it takes a couple hours and then I'm back up and running without a problem. Okay. So uh, what you just heard there was about a 45 to 5 minute advertisement for Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be Mint. 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 Yeah, even better. Yes. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you know, I've played with Mint and I've used Mint before um, and it works good. I just, something about it just doesn't, I, I don't like it. Something about Mint just drives me the other way. So I keep coming back to Fedora. It's like an abusive relationship. I just keep coming back. (laughs) But he said he's sorry this time, and I think he really means it. It'll be better than the next release. Uh, But no, I mean, I honestly, you know, I have all the res out of all the distributions of Linux I've used. Um, I get the best response from my machines on Fedora, and I get the best support from the Fedora community uh, on you know through chat line or uh, forum posts or whatever. I've I've yet I've yet to find a better community. Um, the OpenSUSE one is a close second, but 
the Ubuntu and Mint ones are distant third and fourth. Okay. Um, I think I'm just going to jump straight into the tips of the week because we are going super long on this one. So, Chris, what do you got for us this week? Uh, this week I got one. I got it in my stream today, and I, I, I'm a horrible geek. I'll tell you this much right now. I am terrible terrible geek um i played tabletop games all the time with my friends and even my friends as kids we play tabletop games so D, you know um werewolf vampire all of those old school tabletop games um but as we've gotten as my, me and my friends have gotten older we've moved away from each other so we can't play anymore so this came across and it's kind of a neat thing and it's called roll20.net and what it basically is, is a tabletop that everybody can be at on their computer and still play a tabletop game. You can do turn order. Uh, you can build your world in it. It's kind of a neat little thing. Um, if I remember right, it was a Kickstarter f- for a while, and now it's released. Um, but it's a neat little tool for if you're a tabletop gamer and you you know a bunch of people that want to play together. Um you got to take a look at roll20.net. It's it's awesome. Uh, I actually can't wait to point this out to my friends and go, look, even though we live like seven, I think the farthest one is 7,000 miles away, we can still play. That's kind of um, cool. Yeah. I'm really excited to point this out to my buddies. Um, I got a DM that does a great job of being a DM. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that if you're playing in the room with him, he changes his voice and his posture and, and actually acts out the parts. So it's really, it, it's funny because he's a really tall guy, you know, big burly ex football type player. And to listen to him play a hag is just about enough to make you shoot soda out your nose because <laughs> here is the six foot guy, you know, he's six foot, 300 some pounds. And he's acting like a, a sea hag, you know, with the rickety voice and the the funny hand and gesture. Oh, he's he's a great DM, and I'll be able to get that feeling again, even though we're, I think he's a couple hundred miles away, and he never comes this way anymore. So I can still play. We can still have a game. All right, uh, Seth, put down your game of Angry Birds and uh, tell us what have you got this week. Well, first of all, I'm upset that Chris has impinged on my territory uh, with a random link that wasn't necessarily a command line. But uh, no, uh, in response to some of the listener feedback, I figured I would throw out an actual, a useful link. And so it's makeusub.com slash pages slash best Linux distributions. Uh, you go there, it tells you some of the more common Linux distros that are out there, and it kind of gives you a little blurb about them, tells you what they're based on, kind of what they're marketed to. So if you're like, you know, I've always used or I've, I've been using Ubuntu and I want to try something else, what are some of the other options out there? And of course, this doesn't cover everything because I mean, you know, that would take up, you know, a couple of gigs worth of data with all the Linux distros out there, but it hits the highlights and tells you what some of them are about and you can kind of look at them and then see, hey, is this something I want to read more about or maybe this is a distro I want to use. So the link will be in the show notes when we drop it, makeusub.com slash pages slash best dash Linux dash distributions and tells you about a 
myriad of available choices. So sorry, no funny one today. Um, I figured I would, you know, try to go helpful once in a while and kind of clear the palate. All right. And that is going to be our show for the moment. I would just tell you uh, where you can get a hold of us. If you don't already know that, Everyday Linux, uh, excuse me, uh, elementop.com uh, is the website. Um, the uh, um, email address is edl at elementop.com. Uh, you can uh, go to our website and use the leave us a voicemail widget. Google Voice will call you and you can leave us a voicemail or if you're just out there driving around right now, pick up the phone and dial 559-IAMOP anywhere in the uh, continental North America, and you can leave us a voicemail. And uh, if you're hearing this, it is a miracle because my laptop crashed and my backup recording uh, filled up because I forgot to empty it, and uh, I'm on like fourth string backups at this point. So um, if you're hearing the show, uh, just uh, know that it took me a lot longer to put it together than it normally does. And once again, if you're inclined to give me money for hardware, now is the time. <laughs> I hate to be a beggar, but this is where we are. So having said all of that, and uh, I think we've given you enough Linux in this show to get through the next couple of months Linux free. I think we, I think we've earned that um, for our everyday Linux show. Yeah, we need a good bacon episode to come up here pretty soon. <laughs> so next week's show is going to be entirely about bad movies and um, kids' birthday parties. So pretty much Sweet. every other show we've ever done. Uh, Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being with us. Uh, listeners out there listening, uh, thank you for uh, for putting up with the madness that is this show. Uh, go and tell all your friends about it, honestly. If you like the show, even if you like it in the same way that we like Sharknado, if it's so bad you have to listen to it, I'm okay with that. So uh, go tell your friends about it, and if you happen to be near a machine with iTunes on it, leave us a rating and a review. We would thank you very much. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.